you doing, no kid? No, that's none of your damn business. <laughs> you know what's none of your damn business I'm doing? The Wild are sucking dick right out of the gate. 0-3. Mm. Oh, Twins are out, obviously. White Sox are out, obviously. How do you feel about that, um, the soccer starting with the holidays? they supposed to be playing the championship on Christmas or something? Well, I don't have any love for this year's World Cup because it's in Catter, the most backwards place in the entire world. Mm-hmm. And they believe in everything I don't, so I, I'm not that hot on it. Hmm. Next time it'll be cool. It's going to be played here, Canada, and Mexico. North, all of mm-hmm. North America is going to be the World Cup. But having it in the Middle East sucks because uh, they suck. <laughs> they suck, yeah. They do. They suck. I mean, I, I guess all you need is a place for a ball to hit a net, right? Middle Eastern governments, you suck. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to think Middle Eastern people suck, but Middle Eastern governments, you guys fucking yeah, suck. So scummy. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast X. X, 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 X. Today, my mm-hmm. name is Adam. A-bomb. And that is Herschel. H-bomb. <laughs> and we're going to start a one-two-parter. We're going to start with part one of a two-parter today. All right? All right, cool. We're going across the pond. The pond arena. To the Atlantic Pond Ocean. To sunny, <laughs> cloudy Britain. Mm. Specifically, we'll be in Scotland. Mm, okay. It's a small island, and there's another small island right next to it called mm. Ireland. Oh, okay. And they all talk different, even though it's like the size of a postage stamp. Like, it's like four feet down the road. They're like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> And then four feet down the road the other way, they're like, oh, go, no. Like just a swan ride away, how they just be on it. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. I can't. I can't figure it out. They, they really don't like each other, though, do they? Or am I wrong about that? No, you're or? absolutely right. Oh, okay. Going back to, like, the fall of the Roman Empire, they mm-hmm. all don't like each other. Yeah, so why would you even want to be like them? Yeah. But they probably was homies at first. Probably had to have been. Yeah. Probably all came yeah, exactly. from the I mean, yeah. Empire. Dude, you're right there, bro. And then the Anglos and the Saxons were fighting, and then the Irish were fighting, and... Vikings came down and everything got all fucked up. I don't know why I'm thinking the movie with DiCaprio gangs in New York. Yeah, that's a bit different. Yeah, I don't know why I'm thinking that though. That's like uh It's a pretty good Scorsese movie. Yeah. It's bad history, but it's a good movie. I did honestly, bro, I thought that was his own shit. I didn't even think that was a real thing or something. Yeah, the five points. Uh-huh. It is. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was a good movie, though. I'll tell yeah, you that. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Man, he can do no wrong. Dude, Marty I, Scorsese dude, can really do no wrong. I snuck in the show to see that shit, bro. Were you too young? You know how you just try to get a bang for your buck? Oh, you saw another yeah, movie. Yeah, you and know, you like, pay for <laughs> one, and yeah, there you go. Yeah, I did and that. And I was definitely young, though. I did that stuff. Yeah. But that was, but dude, I think I that was two good movies. I forgot yeah. what, matter of fact, I forgot what even the other movie even was. Of the double feature? Yeah. Nothing wrong with the double feature. No. It's got me A free, a scummy double feature. <laughs> yeah. But that was probably the only time I did that. I'm like, and I was even forced to probably even do that. Yeah. Was Your hands were tied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? What mm-hmm. are you going to do? Here we go, Herschel. Yes, with part one. Robert Black never knew his biological parents. When his unmarried 24-year-old mother, Jessie Hunter Black, gave birth to little Robert, 
on April 21st, 1947, she refused to even put the bio dad's name on the birth certificate. Mm. This was directly after World War II in Britain, and bastard children were still a huge stigma. Plus, Jessie earned a less than meager wage as a factory worker. She was in no position to raise a child. Mm-mm. Twenty-four. 1947. Yeah, come on, man. You don't even know the father. Probably don't even know the father. There's goddamn... All the buildings around you are still bombed out and on fire from the Nazis. Right, motherfuckers just fucking and getting the fuck up out of there. Mm -hmm. Days later, Robert Black was put into the foster system, and within the year, his mother would be remarried. She and her husband, Francis, would have four children and emigrate to Australia. The children were never told they had a half-brother that their mom had abandoned. <laughs> it fucked up. Jesse died in 1982, and a family friend in Australia recalled, Jesse didn't like it known that she had a kid out of wedlock. She mm. never told anyone who the father actually was. So it was like that in those times, even over there too? Like they just didn't want nobody. That was a yeah. saying amongst... She was ashamed as community. hell. Mm -hmm. yeah. Shame. 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 Ding, ding, Shame. Ding. <laughs> That was when that show was still kind of good. Yeah, no. Game of Thrones was pretty decent, man. Up until. I was, I was hard on it. From the moment she turned Robert into the system, mm -hmm. Jesse never made nor sought out contact with her firstborn ever again. Mm. While Jesse was settling into life with her new husband on the big old continent country, Robert was busy being raised by his new parents, Jack and Margaret Tulip. They were both in their 50s and had fostered children on several occasions in the past. Mm. The Tulips lived in Kinlochlevan, near Glencoe, in the West Highlands of Scotland. Mm. For the next 11 years, Robert grew up here and claims to have no memories before the age of five. Mm. Jack Tulip died when Robert was five years old, and investigators today believe that these are related. Jack was physically and psychologically abusive to other foster kids. We know this from another child named Ray Wire, who was stuck mm. living there. And he said, Most of us can recall something, some strange impressionistic sense of who we had been before we met Jack. So Jack was basically deprogramming them and beating them and probably raping them, I would imagine. So a lot of them lost all sense of self before they were fostered by the tulips because mm -hmm. of Jack's punishments. That's fucked up. I, mean, I don't even want to be in this foster home. I'd rather go to the group home. <laughs> <laughs> it's so unfortunate because mm -hmm. he thought the same thing. <laughs> and it's... Oh, what but, at a least tragic. At, but at least in a group home, man, somebody might actually beat your ass. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Because they're bigger, badder bullies. Mm -hmm. or, it, it, so, no, nah, bro, we ain't doing it like that. Mm -hmm. No, no. It's brutal. Yeah. You just got to think a little Randy Wagstaff. He didn't do well in the At least in the not in the home. beginning. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't going to let him fuck that up. But he turned hard. Yeah, he he wasn't going to let him fuck that up again talking about you going to help me. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I'm built myself in here, dude. I'm not trusting you again. Locals around town remember the young boy Robert Black being covered in bruises every time they saw him. But Robert himself has no memory of being a walking bruise. Hmm. Robert can't even recall Margaret having a husband. His memories of punishment from that time include Margaret locking him in the house for menial offenses and pulling his pants down and underwear and beating his bare bottom with a belt for the more serious ones. Mm. But he has no memory of Jack. Mm. 
At night with the tulips, Robert suffered nightmares and was convinced there was a big hairy monster under his bed. As soon as he drifted off, the big hairy monster would reach up and drag Robert into a prison cell filled with water. When Robert awoke, he'd usually have wet the bed, which of course got him a belt across the ass from Margaret. Yep. That was a serious offense for Margaret, bedwetting. <clears throat> I guess at this time they didn't have like, you know, the thing to protect the mattresses. Yeah, the liners yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Newspapers to put down. <laughs> Kitty litter. <laughs> Damn. Oil dry. Damn. In grade school, Robert was known as Smelly Bobby Tulip, and Smelly Bobby had a reputation as an aggressive loner with a tendency to bully. Mm. He didn't want to play games at recess. Instead, he preferred the company of younger students that he would hold court with and easily dominate and manipulate. Mm. A former classmate named Jimmy Mines remembers an incident where Robert beat the absolute shit out of a classmate who only had one leg while they were all on their way to That's school. fucked up, man. Sudden mindless violence against those physically inferior to him would be a common theme throughout Robert's life. They like this motherfucker with the one leg was probably being a jerk, too. Like It's like a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. <laughs> like, what enjoyment do you find in that? He found a lot of enjoyment in it, though. He did. He liked being a bully. He mm -hmm. liked being a badass. He liked being the the final word on things. As he grew into adolescence, his reputation as a ruffian grew in tandem. Mm. The local beat cops in his neighborhood said Black was a wild wee laddie who didn't give a damn. He was a dangerous spirit and needed a smack around the ears to keep him in line. As far as criminality went, however, during this time he was living with the tulips, Robert stayed clean, rap sheet-wise. Hmm. Sure, he bullied the younger kids at school, got in fights, and generally acted like a shit, but as far as that B-cop can remember, the thing that Robert did that aggravated him the most was Robert had a very foul mouth around women. Yeah. At that time, you don't say, yeah, you don't yeah, say no. cuss words in front yeah, of ladies. No. It was real serious. They actually were. It was like not gentlemanly. I mean, even in, and that was just not it, even over there, over here too. Yeah. Yeah. It was uncouth. And then you realize chicks are fucking filthy. Once they get around their girls. In addition to petty violence, Black developed another habit while living with the tulips. He started inserting things in his anus. Mm. This fascination would continue and intensify for years and years to come. I thought she was going to say huffing or something. I didn't think he was coming with that. Uh-uh. Butt, yeah. butt play. Yeah. I didn't think he was coming with that. The first time he went in the out was when he was just eight years old. He mm. said he started with a thin eight-inch long piece of metal. After his eventual arrest in 1990, police would find pictures showing Robert with a wine bottle up his ass, a telephone handset, and the most intense one showed a sawed-off square table leg. That's definitely a red flag, because I'm pretty sure at this time it's hard to take pictures, right? I mean... Yeah. Wait, what What year was it? 80? Well, he got arrested in 1990. Oh, so. yeah, my bad. You I got mean, Polaroids at this time, too. Selfies weren't like a thing. Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah, they didn't know how to do it. Yeah, yeah. no, but they did have the Polaroids mm -hmm. at this time. You, you see, could yeah. set up the timer. Yep, yeah. yeah. run so, over. Yeah. Right, cool. Yeah, I guess. stick your tushy out. Also, at eight years old, Black had a weird feeling that he wished he'd been born a girl. The leading theory is that Robert wasn't truly transgendered, but was ashamed of and hated his penis. 
So he didn't actually want to be a girl. He just didn't want to have his penis. As far as his sexual orientation went, Mm -hmm. Robert was very straight. Remember how I said he had no memories before five? Uh Well, his very first memory is of himself and a little girl undressing and fiddling with each other's bits. Hmm. At dancing lessons, Robert preferred laying on the floor and looking up the girl's skirts to actually learning how to dance. At nine years old, Robert took off a baby's diaper to look at her vagina. Ever since he could remember, he'd been obsessed with anuses and vaginies, specifically how big they were and how much they could hold. Yeah, bro. He, uh, how much they could hold? Uh, like, isn't that weird? Actually, he's putting like multiple pool balls in his ass. And how much the vagina holds? So yeah. who's, whose vagina he's holding? Well, he started with that baby that he looked at. Oh, my God. I don't like it. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. You shouldn't. You shouldn't yeah, like it. Yeah, I don't like it. It's not a likable thing. It is. <laughs> no, it's not. Margaret Tulip passed away in 1958. Robert was just 11, and it was the worst possible scenario for him. For the second time in his young life, he was without a mother figure. Mm -hmm. A local couple offered to take Robert in until he came of age, but Scotland decided he'd be better off in an orphanage in Falkirk. It was his time here that turned his fascination with the vagina into a full-blown criminal obsession. Mm -hmm. Robert was obsessed with birth and the secrets of the womb after losing his second mother, Mm -hmm. but he didn't know that was why he was obsessed. And it's not like mental health in 1960 was a thing, especially not in an orphanage. Yeah, for real. At 12 years old, Robert attempted rape for the first time. He said, Me and two other boys went into the field with a girl of the same age. We took her knickers off, pulled up her skirt, and all tried to stick our penises inside. Mm. None of them were able to penetrate, so they contented themselves with all touching her vulva. When asked if this was consensual, Robert readily said, Absolutely not. Mm. We forced her. Yeah, she didn't want to do that shit. It was decided after this incident that Robert Black needed an orphanage with more structure and discipline than Falkirk could offer, and preferably, it needed to be all male. Mm-mm-mm. He was moved to the Red House in Musselburgh. Musselburgh. I don't know. <laughs> he arrived with a reputation of being an abusive bully and potential rapist. And horrifyingly, he had the roles reversed on him for the next two of three years. A male member of staff regularly sexually abused him. Apparently, this pedophile would force his current victims to pick his next victims before the current one aged out. Meaning Robert was picked Mm -hmm. by someone and would have to pick someone else. Robert later described the kinds of abuse he suffered. He would put his penis in my mouth, make me touch it. You know, one time he did try to bugger me, but he couldn't get an erection. What's bugger? Uh, British for fuck. Oh, okay, okay. Bugger. But he couldn't get an erection. Couldn't get it up. Yeah, bro. Yeah, I mean, you don't need to be doing it. Even before arriving at the Red House, Robert associated sex with dominance, power, and submission. This was now fully engaged in his brain, and Black empathized with his abuser and concluded that it was completely acceptable and rational to take anything he wanted without compromise for others' feelings. Robert began attending Musselboro Grammar School. He excelled academically, but it was sports where he truly shined, Mm. especially soccer, swimming, and track. Later, when he moved to London, Robert was given a tryout for Enfield Town FC, but his poor eyesight ultimately killed his dream of being a pro footballer. Damn. 
He was able to continue loving swimming well into his adult life as he worked as a lifeguard and a pool boy for a time. Mm-hmm. I wonder, did he have Skarsgårds? Skarsgård? Mm-hmm. The actor? I didn't know it was an actor named Skarsgård. Nah, this is disease for your eyes. Oh. Scotch-Brite. Scotch-Brite disease. As a grade schooler, Robert would walk from the town of Musselboro to Portobello, where there were two swimming pools to practice in. Over 20 years later, a girl named Caroline Hogg would be abducted from Portobello and murdered. Her house was on the route between these two pools. In the summer of 1962, 15-year-old Robert Black aged out of the Red House Orphanage. With some help from the authorities, he got a job as a delivery boy and found a room for rent in a boy's home in Greenock, right outside of Glasgow. After his apprehension, Robert would tell police that during this course as a delivery boy, he sexually molested anywhere from 30 to 50 children. None of these were officially reported, Mm. and amazingly, it would be over a year until Robert's first conviction. Mm. The charge he got was lewd and libidinous conduct with a young girl. What he actually should have been charged with was attempted murder. The 17-year-old Robert approached a 7-year-old in the park and asked if she wanted to see a bunch of kittens. She followed as he led her to an abandoned building, and in his own words, he says, I took her inside and held her to the ground with my hand around her throat. I must have half-strangled her or something because she was unconscious. Mm. When she was still, I lifted her legs and took off her knickers. I spread her legs so her vagina was exposed, and I poked my finger in there once. Mm. He then laid her flat on the floor and masturbated over her body. When he left the falling-apart building, he neither knew nor cared whether the girl was unconscious or dead. It made no difference to him. She would be found later wandering the streets, bleeding and crying. When this case was brought before the Scottish courts, Robert Black was given a punishment unique to the Scottish legal system, an admonishment, which is basically a slap on the wrist and a warning not to do nothing bad no more, or Mm. else there would be big trouble to pay. I wonder why was he so good to get an admonishment. What helped Robert get this non-punishment punishment punishment was his ability to completely manipulate the naive Mm. psychiatrist evaluator. Ah. This buffoon wrote in his assessment that this was an isolated incident and Robert was very unlikely to reoffend. The psychiatrist really recommended to just sweep this under the rug so it doesn't fuck up the rest of Robert's life. But what about the victims, Herschel? Yeah, that's fucked up. Why don't they care about the little girl that was her whole life is ruined now? Mm, I wonder how much of a background a guy actually did on the dude. How like, much he, like the psych? Not yeah, much. You know, like, man, where did you come from? You know. I think a lot of those dudes get off on the idea that we can help them. We can use our science to rehabilitate this monster. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Same shit. What this means, boiled down, is by 17 years old, Black had attempted to rape a girl, left another for dead, and molested 30 to 50 children and completely got away with all of it. Unlike the soft-ass psych report, the social services report viewed his leaving the girl for dead as very serious and thought he was destined to reoffend. Since they didn't want to have to worry about him or rehabilitate him there in Greenock, they thought it better to just send him back to his hometown of Grangemouth to get a fresh start. Damn, they just shipped him right on off. Make him somebody else's problem. Next town down the road. But he didn't already screwed so many other people's lives mentally. Oh, for sure. (laughs) 
Physically, yeah. mentally. Yeah. 30 to 50. Not to mention the two he actually got in trouble, quote-unquote trouble for. I would have killed that motherfucker. Mm-hmm. In Grangemouth, Robert got a job with a construction supply company and rented himself a room from an elderly couple. Mm-hmm. He also acquired his first and last real girlfriend. Her name was Pamela Hodgson, and according to Robert, he fell in love, developed a sexual relationship, then got engaged. Pretty standard stuff. I don't know why yeah. he had to say that, but that, that was important to him. Unfortunately, one day, Robert got a letter saying it was over, and he'd never recover from that hurt. When Black was eventually served with ten summonses, including three for murdering girls, he would try and shift the blame to Pamela by saying, tell Pam she's not responsible for all of this. (laughs) Meaning their breakup had left him so broken and hurt that she'd driven him to murder. No, dude. (laughs) Tell Pam she's not responsible for it. First of all, we don't even know what the fuck did you talking about, man. (laughs) You killed these motherfuckers. (laughs) Pamela didn't have shit to do with it. nothing. (laughs) She left your ass. Oh, yeah. For reasons unknown, right? For good ones, yeah. Oh, okay. For reasons that are her own, but I imagine Mm -hmm. they're good ones. Okay. Good for her, man. Good for her, bro. He she seen it early, or maybe in his story, he thought that they was engaged. Oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. That could be too. Maybe they were just dating. No, (laughs) I said no. It didn't say how, but you was too head over heels for this. And I said yeah, and then got away from your ass and wrote you the letter. Mm -hmm. That sound about right. Mm -hmm. Say yes, so you can free yourself. Yes, extricate. Yeah, I gotta go though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, for is, sure, yeah. we're we, doing it. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. We're doing this. Robert says that during his relationship with Pamela, he didn't mm-hmm. touch any girls, but he was forced to leave Grangemouth for just that reason. So, so he was lying. Definitely, yeah. we don't. I don't believe. Him. I'm not gonna believe. Yeah. In 1966, he victimized the nine-year-old granddaughter of his landlord and landlady. Mm -hmm. The abuse took the classic Robert Black form of him looking at, touching, and putting his fingers in the girl's vagina. Mm. She eventually told her parents, who decided the police wouldn't be called, as the girl had been through enough embarrassment and didn't need any more. Black was obviously kicked out of the house, though. And guess what? Bad gas travels fast in a small town, and though it wasn't officially reported, everyone knew what Robert had done. He was fired from his job with no reason given, Hmm. and everyone looked at him with revulsion if and when they were forced to look at him at all. Robert left town for Kinlochleven and again rented a room from a couple with a young daughter. You know what's next. Hmm. The girl was subjected to the same intrusions as many others. Black wasn't as fortunate as he'd been in Grangemouth, however. When this abuse came to light, the police were called mm-hmm. to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. In March of 1967, Black was found guilty of three counts of indecent assault and sentenced to be a borstal boy in a training facility near the town of Grangemouth. What's, what's a borstal boy? A borstal facility is like a boy's prison, kind of, like a juvenile, oh, okay. uh, juvenile boy's facility. Mm-hmm. So, like, you do chain gang shit and Mm -hmm. you're locked up. No, it's cool. It's still a prison, though. Yeah, yeah. When he was released, he was totally over Scotland, where he was all too well known as a degenerate scumbag. Mm. He decided to strike out south to London, 
where he would be just another face in the crowd. Mm. Throughout the 1970s, Black avoided any convictions, but his fascination with little girls only seemed to intensify. He discovered the availability of child porn to be abundant. One of the magazines Robert had the whole back catalog of was called Lollytots, which was run out of the notoriously gray zone of Amsterdam. This is brutal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is brutal. Bro. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Though. It's not good, is yeah, it? Yeah, no, bro. It's not like a whole bunch of people was doing this shit. Yeah. But yeah. And that's what the, that's what it made it sound like in the research is mm-hmm. that Amsterdam publications like they this did. were allowed to run wild, basically. Mm-hmm. They were not in check whatsoever. So you could have a lolly tots and a, and yeah, a little girl's much, monthly. Yeah, you go, yeah. You go to a JC Penney's and it'll be Or like a cafe. Like yeah, one of those weed cafes and you can smoke a weed and get a lolly tot. Like, oh, do you want to smoke weed here no more? Yeah. yeah, you guys are grossing me out. Yeah. When Robert's place was searched in the 90s upon his arrest, mm-hmm. police found over 100 magazines and 50-plus videotapes. Mm-hmm. When asked what he thought the age of consent should be, Black said that his motto had always been, if they're big enough, they're old enough. Arriving in London, Black lived temporarily wherever he could and mm-hmm. found casual work. His favorite job was that of pool attendant and lifeguard, he was able to spy on the girl's locker room. He would also break in after hours to swim lengths with a broom handle lodged in his anus. Damn. It wasn't long, of course, before a family at the pool filed a complaint with police that Robert had touched their daughter. No charges were filed, but Robert was banned from working at the pools. Dude can't control himself. Bro. He cannot. He is like a compulsive sexual deviant he needs rapist. To be put down, bro. Yeah. I heard I mean, a comedy routine. It don't matter what kind of rapist you I need to be put down, but. I saw a comedy routine on yeah. Instagram about a girl who was like, we got to change it to raper. Which, yeah, that's true. Because raper, murderer. Mm. Where it's like That's rapist is like yeah. pianist. Yeah, well, elegant. Or dentist. Like, yeah, <laughs> like good stuff. Like, not a murderer. I'm Artist. A rapist. Exactly. God damn it. <laughs> it's not good. Put some ist on my name. So, like, raper is perfect. And they said it in Game of Thrones all the time, and I, I, I'm fine with it. I'll call them rapers. Game of Thrones. But that, oh, I don't even want to. All day with that kind of shit. When Robert wasn't working his odd jobs, he developed a deep and lasting fascination with the game of darts. Most of his spare time was spent in pubs tossing them at the board. Mm. He would always have a drink nearby, but Robert never drank heavily. He'd play solo darts and on a team, and though he was constantly there, the owner of the Bearing Arms pub said this Mm. of Robert. For all the years he drank in my pub and threw darts for my team, nobody would ever rightly call him a mate. He never got involved in drinking rounds, and when he wasn't playing darts, he'd be standing by the slot machine. It's called a fruit machine over there, but it means slot machine. Mm -hmm. I just didn't want to confuse you. (laughs) Thank you. Mm -hmm. He really enjoyed irritating and winding people up, especially women. He never talked about himself, his interests, or joined in on conversations. No wonder nobody called him a mate. Yeah, he was just a dick. Dude, we not trying to rile him up. We're, we're trying, trying to kiss them. Yeah. And smooch them. Trying to chill them out. We're, and we're not trying to take their underwear off and fire yeah. digits up there without I mean, consent. Yeah, without consent. There you go. I mean, yeah, we are trying to do that, but with consent. Yeah, with consent. After these beers. Yeah, and that she wants it to. 
Surround culture is huge in the UK. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not like, ooh, let's buy around. If there's five of you, somebody buys around, somebody yeah, buys around, absolutely. somebody buys around, somebody buys around. Like, everybody buys. And that's pretty much law, though. Yeah. Well, not law, but. Exactly. Unwritten. Yeah. If you sit down for a round and then leave before it's your time to buy, you're, uh, no. you're not drinking rounds no more. Mm-hmm. They're going to beat the shit out of Pretty you. Pretty much when you round up the gang, you already need to know. You're going to have yeah. to pay for yeah. at least and one round. Yeah. And guess what? You're out at the bar, so it's probably going to be three rounds. Former World Darts champion Eric Bristow, which is a huge name in competitive darts, mm-hmm. he knew Black from the amateur circuit and said Robert never showed up with a date or a girlfriend. He was just a regular bloke that loved darts. Hmm. So that's all That's all Bristow said, knew about him. Dude would have been canceled nowadays if he would have said that shit. An upstanding it, it, bloke yeah, that just oh, yeah, yeah, he he never showed been, up with yeah, a girlfriend. He would have been canceled. Definitely. Especially. You can't say shit like that. Uh-uh. You got to be like, I, I hate the motherfucker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I didn't even. <laughs> yeah, like everybody else just say, fuck it. They throw, <laughs> throw to the wolves. Dude. That's it. Toxic that guy sucks. Yeah. I never liked him. Radioactive in his bitch, dude. Mm-hmm. Like. I, I always felt uncomfortable when he was in Man, the Man, that's fucked up. That's what they do. What fuckers do we do with the extra? For sure. Like, you ain't got to do the extra. No. No. This bad I'm enough. already under yeah, the bus. You Just, are, bro. You don't yeah. got to kick me under yeah. there. Fucking dickhead. Yeah. Yeah. In 1972, at a pub in Stamford Hill, Robert met Eddie and Kathy Rayson. As they got to talking and drinking, they found out Robert was in the market for a place to stay. Mm-hmm. Kathy insisted that Robert grab his stuff and move right into their attic. Eddie was not as pleased with this idea as his wife, but she convinced him that Black seemed like a big softy. So up into the attic he went. When Black was eventually convicted 22 years later in 94, the once hesitant Eddie Rayson looked back on the time and said, Black was a perfect tenant. He paid his rent on time and never caused us a single problem. Robert would eat meals with the couple and their kids, who nicknamed him Smelly Bob, just like the kids yeah, in grade school. Yeah. You know, he ain't like this. Well, they probably didn't want to call him that in his face. I think they did, though. I think they actually yeah. called him Smelly Bobby. They occasionally went up to his room to play cards or listen to records, but beyond that, they barely saw him. Robert never talked about himself or personal matters, and the couple's son, Paul Rayson, remembers... Black was a bit odd, and we kids mm-hmm. gave him mean nicknames, mostly based around his smell, but he was a great tenant. In fact, he was more than a tenant, but not a friend, or the sort of person you'd get close to or want to. So somewhere in the middle of tenant and friend, I guess. It sounds like <laughs> they were, they just wanted to keep him at arm's length. Yeah, relationship, purgatory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in 1976, Black got a job as a driver for PDS. Poster, delivery, and supply. Mm. His job was to deliver posters to depots around England and Scotland. He loved it. As a loner, the isolation was ideal, and he got to make his own schedule, so his terrible sense of keeping time wouldn't hinder him. He put in 10 good years at PDS until he racked up one too many minor car accidents. Mm. He's got absolutely dog shit eyesight. Yeah, you did. You said that. He was costing the company a fortune. In insurance payouts. Mm-hmm. Luckily for him, the owner of PDS sold the company to two employees who immediately gave their old co-worker his job back. Oh. He would keep crashing trucks, but was always happy to cover your shift on the shortest possible notice if you weren't feeling up to work that day. 
He preferred the long runs like London to Scotland, which other drivers hated because they wanted to get home on time. Yeah, you know, they wanted course. to work an eight-hour shift. Hell yeah. Yes, like all of us. Normal people. Yep. Not psychopaths Ig- and not killers or murderers or rapists. Not rapers. Rapers. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could remember that lady's name. She was pretty funny. She was yeah. a comic. Is a comic. Spot on. Spot on. Usually that's how comedians are anyway. They see the world for what yeah. it is. And as long as they know how to put the words together mm-hmm. to make it sound good. Yeah. It's like Chappelle. He sees the whole world. Chappelle is an animal. He's an animal. The good or the bad kind, however you want to see it. <laughs> I mean, I think he's a good animal. Yeah. And guess the best animals can be both. Yeah. And that's what it's makes a, them good. I guess there's a thin line to being smart and crazy, right? And even if you hate what he says, he's making you think about shit, isn't he? In the back of his truck... Robert would keep a cornucopia of tools to shove up his ass while masturbating. His favorite thing to do on night runs was dress up like a little girl, particularly in little girl swimsuits and lay in the back of his van and sodomize himself. According to him, while he was doing this, he would be constantly replaying the incident in which he'd left the seven-year-old girl for dead. It was this constant mental revisiting which led him down the path to his first murder. Then, since that murder didn't satisfy his craving, he had to do another, and it was a vicious cycle that we've seen before. It just got worse and worse and worse as you kept keep talking, man. And they just can't, they get get this whole head of steam built up about Mm -hmm. how it's going to be great for them when Mm -hmm. they kill. Mm -hmm. It'll let this pressure off. But it doesn't do anything because they're fucking, they're crazy people. Yeah. Killing people's not going to let off that pressure. It's yeah. not going to make your mind correct. The chemical imbalance. That's it. They're just fucking nuts. Super, bro. The FBI maintained that serial killers actually murder because of their thought process, which constitute their motivation. Fantasy assumes a crucial role in sex murders. These men murder because of the way they think. These cognitive acts gradually lead to the conscious planning and justification for murderous acts. Mm -hmm. The further question of what causes the fantasy remains. Fantasies and thought processes must be caused by something. We must assume that these origins are to be found in their personal histories. Robert Black is a child, and the reality of that, his double loss of the mother, lack of a father, Feelings of rejection, being unloved, and constant moving from place to place, not to mention his sexual abuse from an older adult, meant to be in the role of a carer and protector, was a reality so devoid of either love or hope that fantasies involving domination and the perverse search for the lost mother are actually understandable, not forgivable. It makes sense how your brain could shatter in that way, but Mm -hmm. it's a fucking terrible thing. Mm. And unfortunately, if motherfuckers thought like that, man, you should still be locked up because you can't stop it. You even bet if your it, tits. Like, even if you did, like, yeah, you right. But if you go, what you want us to do, though? Like, you want us to just let you out because of this reason? We can't. You need to be destroyed. Yeah. Because you can't. You either need to be destroyed, <laughs> castrated, or locked away because you castrated. can't be trusted. I don't think he could be castrated if he could stick his fingers. Yeah, but would the drive be there if the drive the wasn't there? Not the penis, but the testes. I'll just yeah, you ain't burn it off. We'll see. I, I mean, we won't we see. Won't. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. Ain't that actually, don't somebody, when they talk about castration in one of these states, or is there castration in one yeah. of these states? Or they, they chemically they have do it, done it before. Like with chemicals. Yeah. Though. 
chemical castration. It's, but if you're a raper and that's your only chance to live in society, <laughs> you're gonna have to take that. You shouldn't rape. This shouldn't rape. Yeah, that's all it is to it, man. You shouldn't feel entitled to somebody else. On July 11th, 1982, 11-year-old Susan Maxwell was allowed to walk by herself to the tennis club. Her mother Liz had shut down the idea of Susan taking her first solo bike ride to the courts because of the traffic. The Maxwells lived on a farm outside a tiny village called Cornhill on Tweed, which is smack on the English-Scottish border. Providing Liz some relief was the tennis club was only two miles away in Scotland, and Susan would know every person who owned a home along the route. It was the small town thing of everyone looking after everyone, especially looking after the kids. Mm -hmm. As it turns out, one of the farmhands was heading that way and offered Liz to drive Susan, and then Susan would only have to walk back home. Mm. When the time came that Susan should have started heading that way, Liz, being an absolute helicopter parent, decided since it was such a hot day, she'd go pick her up en route home. On the drive to the tennis club, there was no sign of Susan. Liz didn't freak out. Maybe she'd just been bending over to tie her shoe or something when Liz drove past. So on the way back from the Lionel Tennis Club, still no sign. Liz Mm -hmm. called Susan's tennis partner, Allison. She'd split up with Susan at the entrance after their set so that they could make their opposite ways home. Mm-hmm. So it was for sure at, on her way home. Yep. Okay. They Allison confirmed that yeah. they yeah. played their tennis yeah. and they split up. So dude dropped out to Korea. Okay, cool. I mean, not to Korea, but at the, the Lionel Tennis Club. Yeah. Now Liz was panicking. Her husband said, okay, enough is enough. We'll call the police and we'll get the officials involved. So that way it's, you know, just not all on their plates. Mm-hmm. Investigators canvassed the route and found witness after witness that remembered seeing Susan. If they didn't know her name, they remembered a little girl swinging a tennis racket and dressed in yellow. These sightings continued all the way just across the Tweed Bridge, yards back across the border into England. Half past four was the last confirmed sighting of Susan as she was crossing the bridge. Mm. In the days following the abduction, police meticulously combed the countryside. When Northumbria PD appealed to the community of Cornhill, two-thirds of the population showed up to be involved in the search. The Maxwells talked to every reporter that wanted a word. Since Liz and her husband were both journalists themselves, they knew this was the best way to keep their baby in the public eye. Mm Mm-hmm. On Friday, August 13th, they were appearing on BBC Radio 2 when they returned to the searchers' makeshift HQ. The police had a grimness about them. An officer had found a little girl whose description matched Susan's. Liz remembers clearly that the officer never once said the words, she's dead, just that the girl wasn't alive. Mm. A man named Arthur Meadows was the first one to find Susan's body, all the way in the Midlands, just outside Atoxeter. Mm-hmm. 250 miles from where she'd been abducted. Mm-hmm. Damn. Liz and her husband asked if they could see their daughter, and the officer replied as gracefully as, as he could that the late summer weather had been very warm. After two weeks in the sun, she was no longer recognizable as Susan. Mm. Positive ID was only possible through dental records. Mm. The coroner wasn't even able to determine cause of death. The only real clue was that Susan's pants and underwear had been removed. The underwear was put back on the body, but the pants were folded up under her head neatly like a pillow. This confirmed to detectives that this crime was sexually motivated. Mm. As Susan's body was found in Staffordshire, 
It was the job of Staffordshire police to lead the murder hunt, Hmm. although they worked closely with the Northumbria force. Witnesses of Susan's final walk were re-questioned, and people who had been in the area where Susan's body had been found were located and interviewed. Uh Photographs of the girl were widely distributed, and a reconstruction stage to prompt flagging memories. Hotels and RV sites were visited to elicit information on visitors to the area at the time of the murder who were subsequently questioned. So, you know, they're looking for outsiders that yeah. did this. And I'm pretty sure they probably didn't find no information from them. Because, like, when you go into truck stops and people gone. One of the most promising leads came from Mark Ball a psychiatric nurse who claimed to have seen a little girl matching Susan's description Mm -hmm. heading out in a Maroon Triumph 2000 with a tennis racket on the day Susan was abducted. Hmm. His evidence was finally dismissed by the police, although not until some 19,000 drivers of Maroon Triumphs had been questioned. Unfortunately, like a lot of these cases, it would take another murder to get the evidence the police so desperately needed. Mm Mm-hmm. On July 8th, 1983, in the town of Portobello on the outskirts of Edinburgh, eight-year-old Caroline Hogg was having the time of her life. She'd gone to a friend's birthday party earlier in the afternoon, then come home to a delicious dinner cooked by her visiting grandmother. Afterwards, Caroline, along with her mother Annette, accompanied Grandma to the bus stop. After seeing her safely on the bus, Caroline begged Annette to take her down the road to the playground for just 15 quick minutes to unwind before bed. Annette said she could go and play for five minutes and then she needed to be on the way home. 20 minutes later, Annette sent her son Stuart out to look for his sister. Caroline knew that she wasn't to go any further than the playground and certainly wasn't supposed to go to Fun City which was a permanent fairgrounds just beyond the playground. Mm. So like a like a carnival that's there all the time. Mm. Stuart returned empty-handed, so Annette went out to have a look for herself. When she struck out, they came back and called police. Many people had seen the girl that night, and some of the sightings were in the company of her suspected abductor. Caroline was seen by many people holding hands with a scruffy man. Nobody knew him or of him. They just definitely saw Caroline in his company. This scruffy man was seen watching Caroline at the playground and the forbidden fun city where he'd paid for her to go on the children's roller coaster. They were last seen holding hands and walking out the back gates of fun city. Just like the last summer, police quickly set up search parties. Two days after Caroline's abduction, there were over 600 volunteers that combed through every square inch. A week later, there were 2,000 volunteers. It was Scotland's largest coordinated search in history, and it produced nothing. Hmm. Think it was just too many heads in the kitchen? Well, Herschel? Caroline's body was found in a ditch 10 days after her disappearance on July 18th in Leicestershire on the road that went from Northampton to Coventry. Like the victim Susan before her, Caroline was hundreds of miles from where she was taken but only 24 miles from where Susan's body was found. Mm. So they were both over 200 miles from where they were abducted, but within 24 miles of each other. Mm. Caroline's body was as badly decomposed as Susan's had been because of the heat, so cause of death was not determined. The only positively identifiable things on her were her hairband and her necklace locket. The motive for this murder was sexual, and it was more clear this time as Caroline was completely naked. Hmm. 
Because of the obvious similarities between last summer's murder and this, it was decided by the chief constables of four jurisdictions that it was task force time. Mm -hmm. Representatives from Northumbria, where Susan was abducted, Staffordshire, where Susan was found, Edinburgh, where Carolyn was abducted, and Leicestershire, where Carolyn was found, Mm -hmm. all met in Northumbria in July of 1983 for their first official task force meeting. At least they narrowed it down, man. They figured it out right away. Mm-hmm. They figured yeah. out the two circles, like, mm-hmm. and that they met in that 24-mile space yeah. where the two bodies were found. Mm-hmm. That's great police work. That's mm-hmm. good thinking. As it was 1983, Task Force Chief Hector Clark was excited to see and show how pivotal computers would be, not only for this case, but in all cases in the future. Hector's plan was to type up the over 500,000 pages of handwritten notes on Susan Maxwell into a database, then run that data against the Caroline Hogg murder in order to pinpoint similarities. That's a lot of pages. Hector was sadly years ahead as a detective. This is now absolutely as basic as the ABCs when hunting a serial killer. Mm -hmm. Uh, But his plan was denied. He could digitize the Caroline Hogg case, but Susan Maxwell was to remain a handwritten manual investigation. That's what happens when your old heads are like the, the main detectives and the guys that swing the big dicks. They they think the only way to solve crimes is their way, and that's, you know. But bro, before before work. paper and pencil was invented, I'm sure yeah. they wanted to fucking hammer and chisel <laughs> on a stone tablet. Before this shit to really work. You need to, you need to get, give it the times, bro. Exactly. This is how it's going to work. You get my information up to date real fast and I get your information. We cross those references and I come back with some more information. It'll show you exactly where they crossed over and it would have. In Portobello, witnesses at Fun City were questioned and even Mm. asked to turn in their rolls of film from that day in case Caroline or the scruffy man happened to be in the background. An artist impression of the scruffy man was released, and that, of course, prompted 600 names to be put forward by scared members of the public that were trying to be helpful. Hmm. Police now in 1984 were in the exact same pickle as the summer of 83. They'd been diligent in their investigations both times, but they had no leads and no suspects. And that's where we're going to pick it up for part two Mm, of Smelly Bobby Bobby. Black. What'd you think? The smelly Bobby Black part? <laughs> nah, fucking with you. Nah, dude. This dude is fucking... Gross? Yeah. Disturbing? Yes. He took the words right out of my brain. My yeah, I don't like it. God damn. I don't like him. I know it's not a uh, controversial take, but I do not like him. <laughs> I know it's not. Nah, this dude is fucking nuts, bro. Awesome. Fantastic. I wish they, I wish they got this motherfucker out the way just sooner. Yeah. And I know we ain't done with it, but... Oh, we ain't he, done with it. He had to. It is like that's all they do. They just kick you out and you just go to another. And then what happens when you kicked out of everywhere? And do you? You got to double back and hopefully they forget. I don't know if they're hoping that the community will take justice into their own hands and somebody will kill them. But then you're. Oh. I don't know. It's a bad idea. Well, just say that. Or put a fucking brand on his forehead that says like raper. So yeah. that way, when you kick him down the road, they know that he's a raper, too. And then they know that he's a raper, too. And then they know he's a raper, too. Because he's unrepentant. He'll never mm-hmm. change. He needs to be killed or castrated yeah. or imprisoned. Cute. 
KCI, kill, capture, like or imprison. You got to kill him because if you keep him alive, he might instill that into somebody else. He could make a, a new one? Well, you know, just still do the hold them down and stick sitting up their booty hole and yep. fuck them up too. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll find out what happens in the shocking conclusion mm-hmm. to Smelly Bobby Black. Mm-hmm. Until then, mm-hmm. that's going to be all of us for all of us here at the old Bumblebutt mm-hmm. Podcast X. My name's Bad. A-bomb. That's been Herschel. H-bomb. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye.